This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis. It's a podcast dedicated to women losing their marbles. We have left physical season two behind, but we are not quite done with the bonkers ladies of the (laughs) 80s because we are tackling Candy, the limited series that aired on Hulu earlier this year. Five episodes, Jessica Biel, you know, a little someone called Melanie Linsky that apparently no one knew before this year. (laughs) Very exciting stuff. I'm Joe Lipset, and I am joined, as always, by Jen Adams. Hello! As well as Gina Radcliffe. Hello! Yeah, so, episode one of Candy, we are introduced to Jessica Biel as the titular character. It is 1980, it is Texas, and... (laughs) Uh, we have a murder on our hands because the show literally starts by saying the day she died as Melanie Linsky goes back into her house. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to say two things. Um, well, first, this is our, I think this would be our first uh, white ladies in crisis where there's two white ladies in crises. Ooh. <laughs> Joe, I got to give you 10 points for Bonkers Ladies from the 80s also. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, delightful rhyming. Maybe we should just change the name of our, uh, of our podcast. Let's focus entirely on stuff in the 80s. But, yeah. also, it, but also, is this our first rip from the headlines, White Lady in Crisis? Oh, it I might be. I did think of that. Yeah, this is our first true crime piece, which bon, is bon. also bananas because there are so many Bonkers Ladies in mm-hmm. true crime. Oh, yeah. And to uh, give it a little bit of that horror angle, because we are all horror podcasters, uh, I love telling people that this is based on a book uh, mm-hmm. co-written Ooh. by John Bloom, which is the uh, the birth name of one Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah, really? I remember when this debuted, and you dropped that little factoid like it was common knowledge, Gina, and you <laughs> blew my pretty little mind. That's I'm my mind is blown now too. Wow, he used to he used to be a pretty straightforward journalist in in, hmm. in Texas, and co-wrote this uh this true crime story, and also the um the Texas Monthly article that kind of ended up growing into the book. Huh? Have you read the book? I have, yeah. Is it good? Oh. It is good, yeah. I, I, it gets a little, but this happens to me with every true crime story. Gets a little dull when it gets to the actual like courtroom stuff. Uh, but, uh, but, but when you like the build up and like you know talking about the the backgrounds, everyone, it's pretty well done. And and mm-hmm. like the now you two may disagree with me, but like the series, I think I think it did a pretty good job of being empathetic to every single character mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and kind of not making anybody a, a you know one hundred percent villain or one hundred percent victim. Now, of course, mm-hmm. I I'm very pro Betty, but we'll get but but we'll <laughs> get to, we'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, this first episode is an interesting piece, right? Because. I didn't like them telegraphing, hey, you're going to see Betty drop off almost immediately. And I've read the plot descriptions of subsequent episodes, so I know we do flashbacks so that we can unpack the relationship and the friendship between the two women. But 
barring that i did like that this first episode is just kind of a get to know you like these are the players in this show and it's giving us a lot of insight into what their day-to-day life was like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i think like i essentially went into this knowing nothing about it like i remember oh, okay. watching yeah so like i i think part of me in my brain had seen some of the previews for this because i think i was watching pam and tommy at the time mm-hmm. at in the lead up to this you know and So there was part of my brain that knew that this was a true story. And then part of me, I think I knew that Candy was going to be the murderer or whatever. But other than that, I have no clue what's going on. So Mm -hmm. it like knowing that it is a true story, like everybody goes into a true crime story knowing what ends up happening, you know. So I do kind of like this backwards looking thing. It feels like it's unfolding like like the case would from the outside, you know? But then I agree. I think we're also getting a really interesting look inside. Yeah, and I, I really like the uh, how it's kind of split into Candy, Jessica Beale's character, kind of going about her day after this you know, horrific event has happened. Mm-hmm. You know, she's running her little errands. She keeps repeating her very specific, I guess you call it <laughs> an alibi, a, a, yeah. an, excu- an excuse, I guess, for why she's mm-hmm. late. And I love at one point her her husband's like, you saw me, you said that like three times already. <laughs> like, and then I went to the pharmacy and then I went to the Target to get Father's Day cards and then I picked the kids up and then she left her swimsuit so I went to Betty's house and mm-hmm. you know, and, and how anybody can't tell that she she's like panicking about something i have i have no idea but then you've got um betty's husband alan uh who is played Mm. by pablo schreiber in a much a much worse mustache here than he had on orange (laughs) orange is the new black yeah and he's trying (laughs) to get a hold of her and the way this is done is very suspenseful like even Uh like even if even if you know okay this is not going to turn out good Mm mm-hmm you know just the way it's on that poor little baby oh my god oh i know yeah that whole last half of the episode was so like heart-wrenching you know because you know what's gonna happen but you don't know how bad it's gonna be and there's Mm -hmm. like you still kind of want it to turn out okay for him even though you know she's dead you know and just like the reveal of like we just see her leg and then we hear the neighbor say that it was she was shot. And you're like, ah. mm-hmm. and then to see the axe, like just the way it all unfolded, I thought was so well done. That's interesting. I found that I wasn't particularly smitten with any of the investigations into Betty's actual house. Like all the stuff with the neighbors, I was just kind of like rolling my eyes a little bit at. <laughs> but I did think that Pablo Schreiber was doing a fantastic job as Alan because you could see his anxiety slowly ratcheting up as Mm -hmm. he couldn't get a hold of his wife because he knows her he knows she wouldn't be out of the house this long and she's got this newborn baby so it doesn't make sense for her to not pick up the phone and i thought he did such a great job of conveying just that mounting dread oh fuck Mm -hmm. i know something is wrong and i'm not there i can't do anything yeah yeah, just get in the house. I don't care how you do it. Just get in there. That that was the line, right? Because he's still like a, he's like a, like a convention or something, and he still mm-hmm. has to like socialize and like you know meet his colleagues for dinner. And you just yeah. tell he just could he just completely checked out. Mm-hmm. I'll just have uh, what is it cheesecake for dinner? Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll just right. go I that. mean that that sounds good. I, it sounds great. Yeah, but, but, yeah. I, know. <laughs> I was like, wait, am I having a crisis when I just have cheesecake for dinner? <laughs> 
No, that's just fun, you know? Cheesecake right. is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking through, like, what would I do in this position? You know, and I think that's a lot of times my issue with true crime is mm. I feel like it is exploitative and and not all. Like, there's there's a lot of different true crime and podcast books, you know, but I am very sensitive to it because I've gotten really burned by some podcasts that who's, who I won't name, but who I think really, really were exploitative. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to use the worst day of someone's life as entertainment. Mm-hmm. But then I do think that there is value in telling these stories, you know, and I think it all is in how it's done and how, like, I want to feel that these are real people You know, and I think just seeing this one episode, that's all I have to go on so far. But I thought it did a really, really good job of putting us in the heads of everyone that we met, you know? Yeah, I I so agree with what you said earlier, Gina, where you said, you know, it's doing a really good job of not necessarily villainizing anybody. Like, Mm -hmm. right off the bat, these characters are three-dimensional. Like, we spend so little time with Melanie Linsky. That was kind of my other big complaint. I was like, Mm. I get it. She's the dead woman on this show. But it's Melanie fucking Linsky. Do not (laughs) Mm -hmm. tease me with that. I need (laughs) all the Melanie Linsky. Mm Mm-hmm. At the risk of spoiling too much ahead of this, like you, you get a lot more Melanie Linsky. You, you oh, will, yeah. okay. yeah. you, you'll yeah. be pleased with the amount Super of Melanie reassuring. Linsky you get. <laughs> but I, I loved that I immediately understood, or at least think that I understand her. Like I'm getting a lot of depression. I'm getting a lot of postpartum. I'm getting just sheer exhaustion off of her. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, I'm seeing Jessica Beale's candy as kind of mother of the year. She's so on top of everything. She's like basically head of the PTA. And yet you can see that it's a thin veneer, right? Like I'm not surprised that she snaps because mm-hmm this level of sheer perfection is unattainable and unsustainable. And I love how much Jessica Biel puts that into her performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I did not like her at all at the beginning because she was, like, this perfect mom. I also, mm-hmm. like, I grew up in the South. Like, this was the year I was born. Like, this is my childhood that I'm watching mm-hmm. on screen, you know? So I think I'm projecting a lot. But, like, once she did snap, and we know that, I think we assume that she killed her, like, I had a lot more sympathy for her in that moment, you know, than just trying to be the mom that does everything. Because that is just unattainable, you know? Yeah, she she's trying to keep up this facade. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're right, Gina. It is her desperately trying to establish this alibi timeline with <laughs> everybody she meets. And there's a kind of macabre humor in that because we understand what she's doing and everybody else is just kind of exasperated by her. Like, yeah, okay, we get it, Candy. You can just calm down a right, little right. bit. Yeah. But um, I love that she still has to go through this rigmarole of a daily suburban life. Like, sure, yeah, we'll do dinner. Yeah, we'll take the kids to Empire Strikes Back, motherfucker. Just, mm. oh. <laughs> Yeah. The moment she puked behind the car, that was right? the moment that really got me. It's like, Because uh, that lets you know that she does feel bad, too, mm-hmm. you know? Because I think it could be easy for somebody who comes across as, like... It's funny. I think I'm looking at her as uh, most people look at Sheila in physical, you know, Mm. I just immediately, I think I project a lot of my memories from vacation Bible school. And I'm like, I don't like you. But I, the moment that she puked behind the car, I was like, okay, you're a human being. I I Mm -hmm. see you. Yeah. I don't like you, but I know you. 
right exactly one thing i'd want to point out um jen you said you were you were born the year this takes place i was Mm. i was a little bit older i was uh about seven or eight when when around the time so about the same age as candy Mm. and betty's kids Mm. Uh, okay and from from what i can remember like i mean i didn't grow up in texas but you know a small town is a small town they're not all that different Mm. from each other and um the the attention to detail in this is like amazing it's it's mm-hmm. so good I, I i don't know if it shows up in this episode but i know there are other episodes where um you see betty and alan having dinner and they have like the big giant wooden fork and spoon on the wall behind <laughs> them oh, no. and, and, and that was like such a thing in like kitchens and dining rooms when i was a kid no idea yep. why like the mac <laughs> the macrame owl on betty's front door uh-huh. it's, just, it's now, i don't know if that was a detail they took from like pictures or anything but it's very mm-hmm. Very period accurate, mm-hmm. so I, I always I always appreciate that. That is kind of the interesting thing, right? I mean, I think that's one of the conversations I'm interested in having over the course of these next five episodes as we unpack the series. But like, because this is based in true crime, in some ways the narrative is predetermined, right? Like, there's only so mm-hmm. much creative license you can really take with this. You're telling the story that's already been told, but then you can embellish it with things like that really specific period detail because you probably are able to draw on, you know, pictures and stuff. Like, I I appreciate that any film or TV show that's set in the past has the option to do this, but like they probably recreated Betty's house and Candy's house explicitly based on like crime scene photos and so on. Right, because if we're comparing this to physical, Sheila's house has never existed. It's not real. You know, it might Mm -hmm. be period accurate, but yeah, this is a house, like, I could read that book. I could look at the crime scene photos. I could see how accurate this is. Mm -hmm. So it does raise a question anytime you're kind of adapting something like this. And I think about, like, American Crime Story, the like the Ryan Murphy series, you know, like, Mm -hmm. how much... How much creative license do you take to bring the story to life and how much do you want to stay period accurate and it just has to I think it's just a personal creative choice you know. Well, it's yeah. it's funny. It's funny when you when when you read a lot of reviews of it, people tend to mention and I and I mention it in my own review the the really bad wigs that Jessica Biel and, <laughs> and Melanie Linsky wear, where uh-huh. Jessica Biel's got the really really tight perm, Ooh, that tight perm, and yeah. and Melanie Linsky's got the classic like Dorothy Hamill haircut, which like mm-hmm. every you know woman every every female person from like age five up to forty had at some point during I the seventies and early eighties. I had it. I had it too. How could you get away from it? <laughs> right. But, but if you find pictures of the, the real life people, they had oh, yeah. that hair. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Like if you like Melanie Linsky looks a lot like the real life Betty Gore. It's it's pretty remarkable. Mm. And, and the real life Katie Montgomery had. I mean, she paid someone to do that to her hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like we can say that the wigs look horrible because it's like these are styles that have gone out of fashion. And they're unflattering. Like, they're they're, they're yeah. unflattering to them. They're unflattering. But let us not overlook the fact that this is still jessica beale like you cannot do anything to make this woman look bad like this is maybe the most atrocious hair you could put on an actress Mm -hmm. and she is still jessica beale with bad hair 
Uh-huh. Total and bad glasses even. That doesn't oh, even I love ruin the glasses. It. But I, I, I love <laughs> I love like a seventies, eighties look. Like this fashion uh-huh. because it's right on the cusp of the seventies, which is my favorite decade. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I'm gobbling this all up. I am a sucker for tinted glasses. <laughs> I was gonna say, except for the except for the hair. I mean, she just got a very mm-hmm. kind of hipster look to her. Oh, right. I love it. Yeah. Yes. It's also it's also worth mentioning, but also to point out that you know I, we may have mentioned this before how people just looked older back in the back mm. in the seventies and early eighties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jessica Beale is forty, and um, Nani Linsky, I think, is maybe forty-three or forty-four. Uh, they are both playing characters who are twenty-nine when this happened. Wow. So this is this is, and when again, when you find real pictures of them, uh, you're like, mm, they don't look twenty-nine. But wow. but you know, it's from back in that era where because everybody was smoking, nobody was using yeah. sunblock, so everybody really prematurely aged i just think that's so unusual for mm-hmm. a true crime adaptation for the actors playing the real life people to actually be older than their mm-hmm. than their real life counterparts by rather a lot right yeah that gives me hope for hollywood like a tiny little sliver <laughs> <laughs> So let's not overlook the fact that this is, sure, it's a limited series, so it's not like they're aiming for longevity or anything, but this is a TV show. It's relatively high profile, big famous case, but we are talking about two very prominent women of a certain age headlining this, and I feel like the number one thing that came out of this when I was looking at the reviews, everybody fell over themselves to talk about how good the acting is from these two women. Hmm. And I'm not denying it. I think that they're both absolutely amazing. Like, again, a little bit more Melanie Linsky. Looking forward to future episodes. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, the one thing that I am always pleasantly surprised by is when people are shocked that Jessica Biel is actually a good actress, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, nobody watched the first season of The Sinner, huh? Because mm-hmm. we learned that a long time ago. Oh, yeah. She was so good in that. I actually had to stop watching it because <laughs> it was upsetting. I was like, no, mm-hmm. not for Well, me. I think, you know, a lot of people tend to have. She was a she, the show she was on. was like she uh, was Seventh, on Seventh Heaven. Seventh Heaven. Seventh that, Heaven was, yeah. that was a CW show, right? Or was yep. it a WB? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think anybody, people have tend to have a sort of a bias against anybody that comes out of that era of TV shows because mm-hmm. you kind of get the impression that everybody was, you know, you know, very pretty, but, you know, not much else. They didn't really bring anything else to the table. And it turns yeah. out a lot of people are actually pretty good actors you know once they once they find decent material Mm -hmm. exactly yeah i feel like and and i mean there are just as many like people that are pretty and that's what they're good at and then we don't ever hear from Mm -hmm. them again you know i've been watching a lot of supernatural recently so you know (laughs) (laughs) wow i know but like jensen ackles is fantastic on the boys you know and we just watched house of wax so alicia cuthbert is in my head yeah there's lots of good people that come out of the cw a lot of times it's the material and what they're given to do and what they're asked to do because i mean a cw show has its own stamp you know like yeah i'm i'm gonna push back gently on both of you i don't think that the cw and wb and upn i don't think they had a lot of bad shows i think that they had shows that were maybe aimed at certain people who weren't always us mm, that's a good point well, that, yeah that's fair yeah i just I, yeah. I didn't say i thought of it that way i, I, I was saying that <laughs> oh gina's walking it back She's the, walking uh, the back. general perception is ah, okay. that people who got their start young actors who got yes. their start on those on on 
on shows from that era, mm-hmm. you know, that they, you know, when you hear them trying to do something serious, you're like, oh boy, here we go. And then and lo and behold, yep. a lot of them try to be quite good at it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also like Jessica Biel like came from Seventh Heaven, and then she did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre re- mm-hmm. remake, which I actually really like, and really I think like it. She, she's mm-hmm. good in it, you know. But I think that's another like teen slashery kind of feel, so it's, it's easier true. to dismiss people in those movies, you know. I mean, I think one of the other things that we need to acknowledge is that Hollywood also has to give roles of certain kinds uh-huh. to people. Like, you need to let people stretch their wings and try different kinds of material. If you want to say challenging material, because you don't like CW shows, that's also your prerogative. But I think it's important that we acknowledge Jessica Beale has actually carved out her own career by also executive producing both Mm. the sinner and this show Mm -hmm. so i think where she wasn't finding the roles that were giving her that kind of oomph and even like awards buzz and that kind of stuff she was like fine i will create it for myself Mm -hmm. and that's like what you see reese witherspoon doing and Mm -hmm. kidman you know creating the space and using like the platform that she got or the recognition she got from from these cw shows and these horror movies to create these kinds of roles for herself and for other people you know mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is good i feel a little guilty i love supernatural <laughs> <laughs> i don't always love everything about supernatural but oh, I sure. just for the record i do love that show <laughs> i mean any any show that runs nearly 20 years or maybe more i can't remember how far it actually it's 15, got 15 yeah yeah, that's a lot. It, it's that hard is to a come lot. up with fresh content. After You're going to have some Disney's. And they actually did a good job of doing that for stretching it for 15 years. But that's that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hit, hit Jen up if you have a supernatural podcast. She'd oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so what do you think are the key takeaways from this episode? Like, what are the things that we're meant to sort of put on reserve and say, ooh, that's a clue, or that's going to come back, or that'll be important? Hmm. Well, I deduce that there's going to be some kind of conflict between them. I've seen previews, and I know that there is some kind of, like, affair that happens. Hmm. So I'm interested in Alan's story as this goes forward. Is he going to blame himself for what happened? I just am curious about that. I also, like... Pat, played by Timothy Simons, who is Jonah Ryan from Veep. I love him. And I want to see more of him. So I hope his story is embellished a little too. Yeah, I won't lie. When you look down the the list of like recurring players too, you're just like, wait, I'm sorry, what? So we've got Melanie Linsky's husband, Jason Ritter, coming in at some point. And also (gasps) Justin Timberlake, a.k.a. Mr. Wait, Jessica Biel coming in later on as well. No way. I haven't looked that far down. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> I love that the men are the accessories on this show. <laughs> oh, as they should. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not because it's not about them. It's right. not about them. And that, that is one of the things that I really thought was fascinating about this first episode is we are so steeped in suburbia. Like, the whole episode is about running errands for the kids. We got to get them to swim. We got to get them to the movies. We got to do some kind of weird nativity play that reminded me of <laughs> Love Actually, where it's like, oh, was there a lobster at Jesus's birth? There were two. Of, no, the, sorry. There were two at the Ark, but yeah. There we go. <laughs> that some kid just wanted to be a lobster. Or maybe that's what they were for Halloween or something. Oh, man. 
I will say I had a visceral reaction to, and that little crow, that tree became a cross. Just the whole Bible mm. vacation Bible school thing of it all was very, very period accurate to a scary degree for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the character that I was the most interested in, there's a brief moment before the murder wherein uh candy goes to see the preacher to try to get him to come make an appearance and he's like no that's like a woman's thing i'm not doing the the sunday school nonsense and i was like oh there's weird tension here there's some kind of friction i Mm want to see what is going on between these two Mm mm-hmm Gina's like I can't say anything. Okay, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just I'm just making the like the zippering my mouth closed uh, uh, gesture. I am really interested in this character of because that that is a moment that I really liked her also. Like, no, raising children is not beneath you because you're a man. You know, mm-hmm. I like I liked that, and I find that a lot of women like I'm also thinking of like Phyllis Schlafly, you know, or somebody that would live in this Texan suburbia lots of times would, I think, adopt that mindset that this is women's work, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I was, I was impressed to see that, you know? One thing I I, I really admire about this show, both in this episode and going forward, and this isn't, this isn't spoiling anything, is you don't get the impression that the, the people involved in the making of this are making fun of these people. I mean, they're, 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 you know, yeah, it is a very, you know, inclusive, small little Texas town where everybody, you know, the main social center is the church Mm -hmm. and, you know, probably a lot of them vote Republican, you know, they, I'm Mm -hmm. sure they, they, they voted for, they all voted for Reagan, but would Mm -hmm. still consider, but would still consider themselves to be, you know, liberal people for the most part. Yeah. But, you know, you don't get the impression that, you know, this, this is for coastal people to, oh, look at all these small town rubes, you know, their little scandal here. Mm-hmm. Listen, it, it, it's very empathetic. Yeah, it is. And and that was my big takeaway from all the scenes with Betty. Like, in case you haven't gathered, I'm a bit of a fan of Melanie Linsky. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> me How too. not be? You know, she's fantastic. But like, she's she's giving so much in like she's not on screen very much in this mm-hmm. episode but the scenes where she is it's so immediately clear that betty is struggling like mm-hmm. watching her use the vacuum to try to get that kid to sleep so that she <laughs> could have just a moment of peace mm-hmm. to herself i've been there oh. <laughs> i used to stand next to the faucet <laughs> I wanted to know, because you're both mothers, did you find this kind of representation of what it's like to have a newborn and also a sort of, I don't know, toddler plus age child? Like, did this ring authentic to you? Because sometimes I wonder about the depiction of motherhood in Hollywood stories where it's like, and here's a downtrodden wife and mother and oh, look at her. She's having a rough go. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes it feels disingenuous. Well, I will say my own, and I'm speaking 100% from my own personal mm-hmm. experience. Um, I I only have one child, so but you know there is a, there is a a period where they they don't ever seem to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing you do will you know stop them from crying, and it it does make you feel like you're losing your mind a little bit, and and oh, totally. and, and certainly you know you get that little voice is like you know you're the worst mother that's ever lived. Mm-hmm. They, they 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 should not have sent you home with this child. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, in my case, I was I was very fortunate because my my then husband was a very involved father, which okay. um, you know I think you had to kind of look at it in perspective of. 1980 compared to 1997 when right. you know my child was born and the 2000s when Jen's children were born that you know with each generation it's not perfect but with each generation men tend to be a little more present mm-hmm. uh-huh. and, and here I mean you, you know with Alan and um, Pat I, I don't think anybody would say they were bad husbands I think that they're right. being oh. you know, very I mean Pat was a fun dad he just he just wasn't a particularly hands on you know helping out with the housework and childcare right. dad, but you yeah. know that was the best you could ask for you know in 1980 <laughs> was that you know dad would be silly with you or go mm-hmm. take you to see Star Wars or whatever, but he was right. not going to be cooking he was not going to be cooking dinner for you or oh, or anything not. like that. So yeah, I mean I think it's I think it's pretty accurate for the time. Yeah, that's why Mr. Mom exists as a movie about just like something that happens in life. Like a parent takes care of his children. Ah, you know. (laughs) Let's make a whole movie about it. (laughs) Exactly. I do love that movie. I haven't seen it in a while, so I hope it holds up. But um, but yeah, I found that too, uh, that that Jonah in particular, sorry, not Jonah, Pat, was (laughs) a lot more involved in his kid's life. Like he was wanting to do the fun stuff. And I think... Alan, you know, he has a business trip, but I mean, I wanted to kill him in that moment when she was like, I don't like when you leave. Yeah. Like, I feel you, girl. I found it pretty, pretty accurate and authentic. Like, I, my kids are two years apart, two, little, two and change mm-hmm. years apart. And I remember coming home from the hospital with my second, who's my son, and just the horror when I realized they weren't going to take naps at the same time and that right. I was going to have to deal with this all day long. And I mean, I love them. And I, you know, I chose this life and I love it, but it's fucking hard, you know? Right. And just that look, like, I felt her pain when she was like, I don't want you to leave. I know it's your job, and I know you have to, but do you really have to? And, like, mm-hmm. I just need help, you know? And I also felt it from Jessica Beale, you know? Like, once they start getting to, like, the after-school activities or, like, the summer stuff, like, that is a huge life change, you know? Right. Corey just sent me an email with, like, 20 important dates for the next like three weeks because school's about to start you know and I mean again I'm lucky that you know Corey helps with that stuff too you know a lot of husbands are like oh I'm just not good at remembering that stuff it's my wife's fault (laughs) and I don't get that sense from either of these husbands but yeah yeah it's an interesting difference in perspective right like you're Mm -hmm. right Pat very much the fun dad Alan, you get the impression he's far more sensitive, but he's also pragmatic. He's got to go to work. He's got to make money so that they can continue to live. And the sad fact is, is that if his wife has postpartum, if she's depressed, if she's just exhausted, like he can't help her with that. Right. She just has to kind of truck along. Yeah. It doesn't mean he's not going to worry about her, but I, I like that we get two different types of mothers and we get mm-hmm. two different types of husbands for these mothers and wives i agree and i'm really interested to see now that we get to hypothetically jump back as we move forward into the series i'm interested to see how these relationships are going to play out me too and one thing i'm curious about too is if i'm assuming that alan and candy have an affair and mm-hmm. so is he out of the house more because he's been having an affair and telling her that he's working 
And is this just like a legit trip? But maybe he's told her that he had like five others so that he could get away and, you know, hook up with Jessica Biel. Hmm. Okay, so that's one of the things you think is going to happen in the future? Yeah, I think so. I think he's going to have, he's going to blame himself for this. Okay. Yeah, and I don't have so much a prediction as something where I'm just kind of like drawing a question mark to it. I want to know what's going on between Candy and that uh, priest and if there's Mm -hmm. something more there. Or if Mm -hmm. it's just like, nope, she's hyper demanding and he's not interested in being involved. And he was a priest, right? Is this a Catholic church? No, I think he's like a pa- I think he's a pastor. Pastor, okay. okay. Yeah. Not that it really matters, but <laughs> I don't know the difference. I don't know the difference from church to church either. I don't so. either. I'm like religion question mark. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like is he a reverend? Is he a pastor? Is he a well, father? I don't know. As uh, our Bible Belt correspondent, I will report go. back on the details. <laughs> okay, Jen, this will be your area of expertise, please. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to relive this my childhood. <laughs> Uh, okay, so that will wrap up our first episode of Candy. We will be back next week for episode two. Oh, right. We wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the roll-up, but maybe we'll save that to see how this plays when we're taking a week apart. How's that? Mm, that sounds mm-hmm. good. Sounds good. Okay. So, uh, Gina, no predictions from you because you already know what's happening next, but if people have already seen Candy and they want to talk to you about it, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, well, first off, I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we talk about horror movies according to the characters. Uh, some of our recent episodes have included uh, Predator. Uh, we covered Cats with you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that should be live by the time this this goes up. Um, mm-hmm. And I am on Twitter under Gina Does Things. Right. And Jen, if people want to talk about the difference between a pastor and a priest, how would they get a hold of you? <laughs> you can find me at Jen Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram and posting the Losers Club podcast, which is a podcast about Stephen King and the Psychoanalysis podcast, which is about mental health and horror. And we actually might be having a, a religious fanaticism theme coming up soon. So oh, gosh, that okay. might play in. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun. Oh, boy. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with me, I can be reached at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B, and a new episode of Horror Queers drops every Wednesday. Thanks, as always, to the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad for hosting. We have other shows, including Bodies of Horror and Good for Her and The Alter Tape, so be sure you're checking out the other fun programming. We will be back next week, Candy, episode two. And until then, if you say that you're going to pick up the swimsuit at noon, don't go at 10. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) You're going to wake the baby. Squad.